You're listening to Steve Dace On Demand. Lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Hopefully you had a great weekend. I'm Steve Dace. We're live on The Blaze on demand here at CRTV. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. We will have some open phones coming up in hour two, so keep that number handy. 888-900-3393 is the number. We're going to address a situation that I know a lot of us may not be looking forward to with Thanksgiving just around the corner. That's right. It's next week already, if you can believe that. 888-900-3393. And you can let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And for those of you listening on the podcast today on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, etc., last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. So... A lot to get to on a Monday, so let's begin with what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away, brought to you by We Can Exhale for Once. And what I'm sure was a huge shock for people who know me, I made a poor choice last week. (laughs) Um, uh, No, I did. Uh, I made a a joke about Lieutenant Commander Dan Crenshaw. Dan? Dan Crenshaw, and on behalf of the show and myself, uh, I apologize. Uh, my poor mom. Can you imagine being poor my mom? mom? Can you imagine being my mom? That must suck. <laughs> Can you imagine being Pete Davidson's mom? It can't be easy when everyone's mad at your son and roommate. <laughs> uh, no, but I mean this uh, from the bottom of my heart. It was a poor choice of words. Uh, the man is a war hero, and he deserves all the respect in the world. And if any good came of this... Maybe it was that for one day, the left and the right finally came together to agree on something. That I'm a dick. You think? <laughs> Lieutenant Commander Dan Crenshaw, everyone, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for making a Republican look good. Oh. You gotta stop saying that, man. You've been saying it all day. Please. Look, I just wanted to say, uh, for people that don't know, uh, the reason you're wearing an eye patch right now is that you lost your eye to an IED in Afghanistan during your third combat tour. And uh, I'm sorry. Thank you, Pete. I appreciate you saying that. So we good? We're good. Apology accepted. Just keep breathing. Sounds like my phone's ringing. And I was just going to let it ring, because that's rude to answer. Let's just let it go to voicemail. No, it's cool. Ariana Grande's love. Cool, man. Yeah. Oh, do you know her? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that, that was funny. All right. So last week, uh, I made a joke about a picture of you, and I feel like uh, it would only be fair if you got me back and made fun of a picture of me. Does that sound okay? I, I don't really need to do that. No, come on. I, I deserve it. All right, I'll do Please. One. All right. <laughs> First impressions with Lieutenant Commander Dan Crenshaw. Thanks, Colin. This is Pete Davidson. He looks like if the meth from Breaking Bad was a person. Not bad. 
so there, we're even. All right. Hold on, well, one more. This is. All right. All right. He looks like a troll doll with a tapeworm. <laughs> yeah, man. All right, that's good. We should wrap this up. Oh, hold on. No, this, this is fun. This is fun. Cool. He looks like Martin Short in the Santa Claus 3. <laughs> By the way, one of these people was actually good on SNL. Oh. No, you're right. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. Okay, but seriously, there's a lot of lessons to learn here. Not just that the left and right can still agree on some things, but also this, Americans can forgive one another. We can remember what brings us together as a country and still see the good in each other. This is Veterans Day weekend, which means that it's a good time for every American to connect with a veteran. Maybe say thanks for your service, but I would actually encourage you to say something else. Tell a veteran, never forget. When you say never forget to a veteran, you are implying that as an American, you are in it with them, not separated by some imaginary barrier between civilians and veterans, but connected together as grateful fellow Americans who will never forget the sacrifices made by veterans past and present and never forget those we lost on 9-11, heroes like Pete's father. So I'll just say, Pete, never forget. Never forget. And that is for both of us. And that's what happened while we were away in two minutes or less. Um, I think that's the best political moment in America. Three, four years at least. Maybe we could go back further. But it's been several years. And there's a couple things that stand out there to me, guys. One is I'm very impressed with Dan Crenshaw's comedic timing. No kidding. I mean, he was, I mean, there's a presence there. Now, who knows what his liberty score will be while he's in Congress, but if we're going to enter into an era where personality trumps all, Saturday Night Live just made him a future national political star the last couple of weeks. I don't think we'd doubt that. No. Again, we're not, we have no idea what his voting record, we were just talking about him as a brand, as a political brand. If if you have future aspirations uh, in the Republican Party, there's a lot of people you would trade you would not trade places with. He's one you would. You would you would want to trade places where where he is going uh, after this, unless he does something dumb to ruin it. But um, that aside, there's a, there's a few lessons we learned here that I think are valuable. Number one, there are still some lines, partisan lines you cannot cross. I think that's good. Let's take these one by one. There are still some partisan lines you cannot cross. And, I, and the reason why I think that is good is because unless we plan on not living together um, in the very near future, we needed some partisan lines, guys, we can't cross. So the, the first lesson here is we learn there are some partisan lines that cannot be crossed. And Saturday Night Live was kind of fumbling around last week looking for that line or assuming maybe the line did not exist and it's pretty clear they crossed it. So I think that's one bit of good news. Your thoughts on that first gentleman. Oh, it's great news. Uh, but uh, they've been fumbling around for more than a week. I, I hope they learn. I mean, what you, and I don't know, cause I haven't watched the last few years. So uh, except for their, the, 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 no, the cold opens they did on the debates with Hillary and Trump and a couple of Alec Baldwin's first Trump 
cold opens after he won, which were pretty funny, actually. I don't know what's been going on there the last couple of years until I saw what they did last week. So, Well, I don't watch regularly at all, but I pay close enough attention that I know it's been pretty rough. And like you just said about how suddenly uh, Ben Crenshaw goes from the— Dan Crenshaw. Dan, excuse yeah. me, from the guy where you say who, like I almost just did, mm-hmm. to being the guy you're like, well, it would be pretty cool to have a president in six years with an eye patch or something like that. Really, you start <laughs> yeah. thinking about yeah. things like that. Yep. The same is true for SNL. They, they, this can be more than just an apology moment. It can be—and who does, does any one of us blame— them for doing uh, Donald Trump skits until the end of time. I mean, I'm, why, not, I'm not really offended by any. Why? Of that. Why wouldn't no. you? But why do you turn it into something uh, that is? You, they did the. You I know, think the, Melania Trump skits. I've, I've, they've done a couple of those. That's over the line, in the, my view. And and the homage to Hillary right before the election, where mm-hmm. they basically d- turned it into. I mean, the, the Kate. Um, I forget her name. Kate McKinnon playing piano and what was lost. I think that was right after the election. You know, you you, you can't bring people. People together. Last night, you showed the power of what's possible on a regular. There's laughs everywhere, there, and there's like South Park kind of gets that. Like it's scorched earth on everybody. At mm-hmm. the very least, realize in this moment, you you found real hilarious comedy in a way that was not destructive. Keep See, it I up. think I think that's okay. Yeah, I think scorched earth. No, the, the I meant uh, no, just, but I think scorched earth. The that's the, that's why I said partisan yes, lines. Yes. I think if you just go scorched earth on everybody, there is so much collective disdain for the system right. as a whole. All right, that I don't think anybody's really all that offended, um, except the the, the hyper partisans that probably should be panned on both sides. The the, the liars, whores, and shills for for each team's uh, tribalism. It's the partisan lines where we are insulting a veteran because he's a Republican. That's the point that I'm making. Yes. All right, that's where. Uh, no, no, uh, no, 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 no. And and if we're there, have to be some rules of engagement, like we talked about last week, with going after people in their personal residences, or the Tucker Carlson situation that emerged from over the weekend, where Michael Evanetti basically uh, outed himself as I'm what happens when Gloria Allred pop, you know, pops her last integrity pimple. Michael Evanetti uh, is the pus that burst forth. Okay, so I'm glad that we have. It's the part if you're going to use your platform to extol a partisan viewpoint then there has to be some lines you can't cross where you're just dump, dumping now so much toxic sludge into the system, it just creates so much animosity on the back end that it, it, that's a terrible place no one wants to live at the end. That's the difference between score, that and scorch earthing the system as a whole. What do you think of that first point, Aaron? Yeah, I. This is it's definitely encouraging, and I was telling Todd before the show that uh, this is like, and like I said in the montage, this is like an exhale because you don't see these moments at all. Where the left overreach, or what we thought, or what we think is the left overreaches and just completely makes a heinous, heinous statement uh, last week, and then comes back, not only owns it, apologizes it, and then the per- the, the party that they uh, that they went after gets to actually um, you know bring everything together. You don't have those moments, and it's like okay. For at least four minutes, everybody could let their guard, hopefully everybody could let their guard down for just a little bit. Because when there are no spaces, when there are no safe spaces, and that term is, as you pointed out many, many times, that term uh, has been um, banded about in all the worst ways. But when there are no true safe spaces where Americans, fellow countrymen can just come together, where there are no lines 
everybody all the time is on guard and mm-hmm. it's it's especially for for well I, I think really basically anybody who just wants to live their life and we talked about this last week after the election and before the election as well people who just want to live their life want to have the american dream when everything is politicized because there are no lines of demarcation anywhere that is a no way to win or no way to live whatsoever because you're always always on guard and it shows you what you can do when you just put that away for a little bit for just a little bit for 4 minutes everybody's not on guard and it's a it's that's the way that's the way you heal and that's the way you have to live together in a country that's what that's what living together in a country looks like what you just saw and really quick because i know this is important to you but it it, Pete Davids, most people had probably had no idea that he lost his dad in 9-11. Mm-hmm. It probably felt really good to have a war hero say, you know, your your father, uh, I know you, I know you must miss him crazy. And who knows the loss, the absence of his father in his life for how many years? Mm-hmm. I mean, but what does he look like, mid-20s? Uh, so almost his entire life. Uh, the, the, there's no accounting for where people's pain come from. And yes, it's important to fight tough uh, in politics, heck, and in theology, but we're always fighting human beings. And Pete's a sinner like the rest of us. We should not be looking at him as an other. As When he shows the grace he did and being a part of this, I, I, he didn't look like a man who was doing one of those, I, I have to do this or no, it's my we've, job. We've seen one of those, I'm blinking three yes, times into yes. the camera, save me, save my job yes. to, from the social justice warrior mob. Apologies. You mentioned a human being. And, you know, uh, Dan said something in that clip. He used the word uh, forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Yes. And this is, again, where we can forgive human beings. We don't forgive constructs. We we don't forgive algorithms. We don't forgive straw men. You see where I'm going with this? Yeah. And there's been too much of this, okay, and, you know, um, I didn't see, suddenly, Dan didn't say, well, you know, maybe I'll change my views on universal health care because you guys had me on. And Pete didn't say, you know, maybe I'll change my view on gay marriage just because you seem like a swell cat with some self-deprecating humor. All right? So they, 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 they resisted this, this That's because that's typically where we, we, see, I submit the problem is not that we are, we are arguing too much. We're not arguing at all. We are trolling the hell out of each other yeah. behind anonymous screen names and, on talk, and, and, and calling into shows of the like-minded and calling that an argument. That's not a debate. What they do on these cable news shows where, uh, particularly on CNN and MSNBC, Fox is guilty of it at times, but especially on the other two, where it's, it's, four, whack, it's four people of one persuasion versus one, one guy who is really a Republican in name only, and they call that a debate, and then they just conjure up straw men caricatures of people. That is, that is just tossing bile and venom into the bloodstream of the culture. All right, It's much tougher. You go back and watch those Bernie Sanders, Ted Cruz debates. Nobody gave an inch on what they really thought. They didn't pull any punches on what they thought on the issues. They just didn't treat each other like terrible human beings in the process. By the way, that doesn't mean there's never a point in time to not treat somebody terribly, but it's when they're behaving and acting terribly, not when they're showing some self-deprecation, some self-awareness, or some forgiveness. That's not the time to do it. The problem is, since we rarely engage each other head-on, face-to-face, everybody's an algorithm. Everybody's a construct. Everybody's a straw man. And it's much easier to forgive people when we have to treat them like they're actually people. More of that. More of that. 
And and I think that's that's the other big thing there is it goes back to what I was saying last week. I, I think a lot of this would go away. Not that the we have existential cultural issues that cannot be uh, that cannot be remedied outside of one side has to win and and one side's morality wins and the other side loses. I, that that's not going to change. That's why it's revival or bust, no matter how nice we are to each other. But the the how how bitter the medicine can go down. Uh, an outright cultural implosion is what happens when we just decide I don't have to be honest with you as a human being anymore, and I'm going to just whip it out, pee on you right in your freaking face, and then say no, that I, I didn't just pee in your face. That's what goes on in most of political media on a daily basis, and and since Americans are so plugged into social media, even though they're not watching MSNBC, CNN, even Fox, a scant percentage of the American public is watching the number one cable network in the country, but it's all in their social media feeds every day, and they're all like, yeah, I hate that person too, and it's just adding and piling on. There's not enough. What happened there is a guy named Pete who lost his dad in 9-11 sat down with a guy named Dan who lost his eye because of 9-11 and realized we got some real differences here. But you know, it's interesting when we sit down with each other, you're, st- you're just a guy named Pete and I'm a guy named Dan. And maybe we can start to address those differences in a way that doesn't just spread toxic sludge everywhere we go if we start with you're Dan and I'm Pete. When we had the reporter from Courts on last week, how did I begin the conversation with her? You're Steve. She's Heather. Yep. I wanted our audience, tell us about who Heather is. Because the minute, if I don't do that, the minute she says something we disagree with or uses a talking, what we see as a talking point on the other side, we're going to see her as an algorithm, as a construct, as a straw man. And I've had this happen to me. And when I've gone on MSNBC and stuff, my mentions are all filled with, it, there, there's right away, I am, I'm a stereotype. Those guys got rid of the stereotypes and dealt with each other as human beings. I think that's something we need to see more of. What do you think, Todd? Oh, I pray we do. Now, I I saw one example of why this is going to be so hard and why I hope this is more than a one-off somehow, some way by SNL and others. Because, yes, of course, this is on Twitter, but some guy says, you do realize that uh, SNL is saying they're sorry for giving screen time to a white supremacist. There's a lot of that junk out there. It takes way more than one SNL skit, as great as it was, to fix this problem. We all have, our, in our own way, have got to address the fact, uh, are, are we doing enough uh, to, to try to, again, as Steve said, preach forgiveness, preach our fellow humanity, instead of constantly living in our silos. Yeah, and this is one of the forgiveness, this concept of forgiveness and what you just um, described, Steve, along, along with what you just described, is something that the progressive evangelical social justice warrior movement is getting wrong um, quite a bit. When we talk about spe- specifically, I, I know racial reconciliation is a big focus of uh, the, the SJW leaning evangelical um, side of the church, and reconciliation is preached very, very heavy on one side. Mm-hmm. I have to say I'm wrong, and I have to say I was wrong, and I'm sorry, but there's no preaching about you also need to forgive. The people who have been wronged, if that, if you know, toss out the premises, but the people who have been wronged, you also have to forgive. That's the other part of this equation as well. 
And that's something that we get wrong, I think, all of the time. We're always self-loathing. We're always taught self-loathing, and I'm sorry, and I'm, I'm bad. Well, that's the difference between identity politics and the gospel. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. The gospel shows us how to forgive. Mm-hmm. I always go back to the Charleston shootings, I believe, mm-hmm. um, in South Carolina, mm-hmm. and the family members of, 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 of the victims of Dylan Roof. Just a heinous, heinous shooting. Just a just mind-boggling hatred, the true hatred right there. And they had the presence of mind and the willpower and the grace of God to forgive Dylan Roof to his face. That's what this country needs more of. We need both sides of the equation of reconciliation, whether it's on any issue whatsoever. We can't just have one side saying, um, you're wrong, and the other side saying, yes, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. We got to have forgiveness as, as well. True forgiveness, not the okay. Uh, I forgive you so long as you join my team. We need to have more of that. So the question then becomes: Is this something that can be replicated from here, or is it a port in a storm? Is it an isolated moment? Is it an isolated incident? And. It's very difficult to not to not be cynical. I, I think for it to happen, though, there needs to be two things. On the, on the right, we need more people capable of doing what Dan Crenshaw just did. More people who are capable of holding the line on what they believe, being being with but being lenient and pragmatic in how they treat people. And you know where that is modeled is throughout the scriptures. God never changes his standards. But if it requires using broken people in order to, to, to accomplish his standard, if it requires a, a broken adulterer like Abraham to accomplish his standard, he will do it. There, God didn't change his standard. Abram, Abraham and his descendants have been paying the penalty for his adultery for pretty much the last... 2000 years. Okay. So that didn't, God didn't change his standard, but he was willing to use Abraham in his brokenness to accomplish his standard. Meaning that the principles don't change, but the recognition for how broken we are as people um, is, is where mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy does not remove judgment. You mentioned the, 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 the family in Charleston that forgave Dylan Roof. They didn't say, therefore, because we forgive you, you shouldn't go to prison for that massacre. That's not what that means. You know, Jesus forgives the, the, the thief at the cross that, that seems repentant, but he doesn't then look at, at his Roman jailers and say, hey, this guy's been forgiven, so don't crucify him for his crimes. No, he, he, he did what he was guilty of, so there's a simple penalty to pay. So forgiveness is not, is not the absence of consequences. It is the removal of condemnation. And those are two totally different things. So I think on the right, we need more people who don't take themselves as ser- that seriously. When Dan Crenshaw, for everything he's done for his country, if there's any, there's few people on the right who have been offensed by the left, who probably have real standing to, to, to walk around and take, it, take themselves really seriously. He would be one of them. And he didn't. That's the first model. When the, the, he didn't... Now, the, when he accepted the olive branch when they extended it, okay? That's number one on our side. On their side, I think they need to have a conversation similar to the one we had a generation ago in the pro-life movement. 
about, yes, we believe abortion is murder, but we don't get to commit murder in order to oppose it. Now, I know we're going to say their charges that we're all racist, misogynist, homophobes aren't as justified as us saying abortion is murder when it's an actual activity that results in a what, guys? A murder. Okay, yes. All right, so I know we're going to say that. And I would agree with that. If I didn't agree with that, I'd be on their side. But I'm not looking at this from our side's perspective of their side. I'm looking at this from their side's perspective of their side. See what I'm saying here? They are going to have to have a conversation with each other on the left, like we had on the right on the pro-life movement a generation ago. Are we really sure that we want to go around saying right away that everybody who disagrees with us is a white supremacist? It's one thing, again, to say your policies are bad for minorities. It's another thing to say you're a white supremacist, meaning you're doing these things specifically you, you as you a person. Are bad for you are a bad person doing things specifically for this reason. Like, it's one thing to say abortion is murder. It's another thing to say ev- that everybody working at a Planned Parenthood is a murderer, which also may have some truth to it, but it's also one communicates something in the hopes of spurring a repentance. Another communicates something in a way that sort of says you're beyond repentant and worthy of being and worthy of condemnation. Because the reality is, while I appreciate several of the people on the left who came out Friday and said, hey, what's going on, what happened at Tucker Carlson's house is bad, and now it apparently took place at their country club too with his daughter. The reality is, as long as they continue that rhetoric, I do appreciate that. But as long as they continue that kind of rhetoric, the people that are acting out on it are actually being more consistent in their belief system than the people condemning it are. Because if you actually believe these people were terrible human beings and white supremacists and racists, then why wouldn't you treat them as subhuman when they're doing that to people already? You see where I'm getting at? They need to have a self-reflecting conversation on the left the way we had to have on the pro-life movement a generation ago when we said, no, abortion may be murder, but that doesn't mean it's okay to murder people to oppose murder. They need to have a similar conversation of, you may view these view, you may believe these beliefs are not what's best for people that are historically disadvantaged, but that doesn't give you the option of then going out and acting like, and acting out like the very oppressors you claim to be opposing. If those two things happen, then there is a possibility that what transpired over the weekend on Saturday Night Live is not a one-off, but maybe could uh, could add some self-reflection that maybe uh, inspires a trend. But minus those two things, I see no hope that that won't be a one-off, particularly because the 2020 election, guys, where we already spent the weekend arguing about whether Marine One was allowed to land at a French funeral or not and whether that meant Donald Trump hates hates, hates the French people. So I, I don't know that we are capable of that, of, of accomplishing those two things. What do you think, gentlemen? Well, I'm certain that short of grace, we aren't capable of doing uh, those things. My time uh, in a, a newsroom and trying to convince them that you you will have a better news product if your conversation inside these walls is better, is more honest, more authentic. And w- just within journalism, and I'm sure that's what goes on in SNL, is that they've so marginalized and they say out loud uh, – I'm very familiar with it because I still have friends there who say, well, no, it, this two sides journalism is is really bad. And we, we, we're not going to let the flat earth people have their say. So they, they have created 
all of the straw men you're talking about. Mm-hmm. That is that is their baseline. Mm-hmm. Th- that needs to stop in every journalism is easy target for me. It's something I happen to know a lot of, uh, more about than perhaps uh, other things. I just use that as an example, not to hit them over the head right now, but it to get better in every walk of life, we need to look around at each other and, and in college campuses, for goodness sakes. Uh, I, are the straw men our idols? And a lot of people don't have a faith where they believe there's any such thing in idols, but there they are nonetheless. Uh, if 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 ben, if he can be a uh, Lieutenant Crenshaw can be a legitimate human being, uh, we need to go out of our way to make sure that that is uh, what we're doing in our own backyard. It's not that hard to do. The people are there if you want to find them. It's just about whether or not you want to find them. Yeah, and quickly, I mean, uh, I, I've said on numerous occasions regarding leftists um, and, and their ability or lack thereof to rein themselves back in, and I've said the phrase can't stop, won't stop, and I think we've all said varying degrees of that. Why Why did they do that this time, and why did they do that a couple of times last week? I think it's because of this last thing, and if I could sum it up re- really quickly um, to, to close the segment. Humans, again, this concept that we are all human beings— and there are even even in all of our depraved minds, in all of our minds that are imperfect, there are still some areas where the conscience can be pricked. Mm-hmm. We should be encouraged about that, regardless of whether we think this is a pattern. So my home state of Iowa had, I thought, the most interesting election results last Tuesday. We're going to break down what they mean and for the country going forward next. Stay tuned. All right, back here live on The Blaze on demand at CRTV. We're going to open up the phone lines next hour, 888-900-3393, 888-900-3393. I don't know if you guys realize this, but if you're a homeowner, you should. Right now, one of the fastest growing criminal rackets is home title fraud. My home's title, yours too. They're all online. You know, the folks over at Home Title Lock were showing me recently how easy it would be to hijack my home title. And some of you are like, well, I'm underwater. I can't afford the payments anyway. They can have it. That's not what they're looking for. Uh, what they do is you don't even know until later on when you start getting the bills for the home equity uh, lines of credit, the, the second, third mortgages, when those come in. That's what these identity thieves are looking for is the equity in your home. It's the most expensive, biggest investment most Americans will make in their lifetimes is their own homes. And hey, if you've got family members that are retired, Maybe not the most tech savvy out there, but you know they, they have made their money in life and they're living in a home that's got a lot of equity. They are especially being targeted right now. If you own rentals, if you're uh, an entrepreneur or a landlord and you're in that line of work, uh, you're being targeted as well. So for pennies a day, Home Title Lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title. The instant they detect any sinister activity, they're on it to help shut it down. Your home's title, it may already be compromised. You can find out for free. Sign up at HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com for a free title scan and report. That's a $100 value. And they're giving it away to our viewers and listeners right now for free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. Bob Vanderplatz from The Family Theater joins us here each week on our program. Good to see you, brother. How are you? Doing really well. Good to see you. So last Tuesday's results, and you know, you and I were talking before the election that we thought 
uh, and from some of the national people we know, that Iowa was the one place they consistently told us they had no read on whatsoever. And then they would ask us what we thought, and we're like, we have no read on it. We live here, and we have no read on it whatsoever, right? And if, if you would have given me a multiple choice, you know, which of these scenarios, rank them in order, do you think is the most likely to occur? And you would have given me the three or four most likely scenarios. The one that did happen, I would have probably ranked having the least possibilities. And the reason being is because we had an incumbent governor, but not really, meaning Kim Reynolds had never won election, which means she's kind of getting all the backlash of being the established candidate, but none of the benefit by virtue of never having put together a successful statewide organization with the built-in advantages and name ID. Because everybody says they hate incumbents, but they get reelected like 90% of the time in America, right? So she kind of was in this no man's land where she's not really an incumbent, but she kind of is. She's running against one of the few remaining Democrats in America who openly run on capitalism whose family has been very successful corporately in our state and has created a lot of jobs and then a lot of economic development in our state. Sure. But the problem he has is while that should be a platform to establish himself as the moderate Democrat, he's also the former head of Planned Parenthood of Iowa, which makes <laughs> So he's got a he's got a thread and needle. He he's the capitalist on one hand, but he's also the head of Planned Parenthood on the other. So he's trying to thread a needle at the exact same time. And then you have three established congressional Republican incumbents in the state. Two of them, one of them is very established. He's, he is holding on in the most Republican part of the state, Steve King, barely. Barely. And he's, there's calls for his excommunication from the party and everything else right now. Then you have the middle part of the state, which even though the western part of the state's the most Republican, it's this middle third of the state where you and I have operated the last seven or eight, nine, ten years. It's probably the most conservative, mm-hmm. meaning that a lot of the activism, the judicial retention election, the Tea Party movements in recent years, when you ran for governor, this is the middle part of the state has actually been the more conservative part of the state. Without question. All right. And her congressional camp candidate, David Young, I think they called that race three seconds after the polls ended, right? And then out in eastern Iowa, a, a, a very likable Republican who's conservative but more populist, small business guy, built a nice base. And Rod Blum, he's getting destroyed. So she's getting no coattails. In fact, the Republicans on the ballot in, in parts of the state she needs to do well are dragging the ticket down. And yet on election day, she's the one who survives. Now, I think this is fascinating for the country going forward because I I don't think there's too many persuadable voters left in America. And I think the ones that are persuadable aren't necessarily persuadable the way that they used to be. Uh, Tell me why you think we got these results in Iowa and what lessons can be learned going forward, because I do think this is a test market for what the next election cycle is going to look like. Well, after election night, after you just summed it all up, I said this, Iowa is probably the most unique study of the entire night. Because you, you, what you just pointed out, we had a local congressional tsunami. Uh, Steve King in the most Republican district in the state, one of the most Republican districts in the entire country, mm-hmm. beat his opponent by three points. And like you, a Bernie bro. Like this wasn't the Fred Hubble, I'm a capitalist. Absolutely He's a, He was a full-on Bernie bro socialist. Without question. And then you have David Young, who in this conservative district, uh, the third district, 
who's been elected twice to Congress, run up against Sidney Axney, which is a good candidate. She even said she was basically an independent. But she beats corporate officer at principal yeah. or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. And she beats him. And then you get this young female uh, Finkenauer who you know beats Rod Blum in the in the first district. So you have this congressional tsunami, and yet Iowans broke unprecedentedly after voting against their congressman, voted for Kim Reynolds, and voted for other key legislators, state senate and state house. So what happened in this congressional tsunami? You kept control of the governor's office, and you kept the majority in the Iowa Senate and in the Iowa House. So to me, I think what Iowa showed is that we're a very astute voter, and they walked and they chewed gum at the same time. And whether I like it or not, I think it is what it is. What they did is they sent, I think, D.C. a message, probably President Trump a message, and that is resolve this tariff deal. And frankly, I think, Steve, you said to me, and grow up, meaning Act like a statesman. Act like a president. We love some of the policies, but now act like it. But at the same time, I believe this is a huge win for the sanctity of human life. Because, Steve, what you just pointed out, Fred Hubble is a moderate Democrat. He's a capitalist guy. He makes money. He, he develops things. And he's the former chair of Planned Parenthood with his name on a building mm-hmm. because of his donations. He's painting... Kim Reynolds as extreme on the heartbeat bill. As a matter of fact, he's championing that he's the former chair of Planned Parenthood in commercials. His wife right there by him. Kim Reynolds then points out that his position is extreme on the sanctity of human life. And what happened because of life being on the ballot and because of the heartbeat legislation being passed by the Senate, passed by the House, and signed by the governor, I believe that is what saved the governorship for Iowa in Republican hands, Kim Reynolds, kept the majority in the Senate, kept the majority in the House. I think life won bigger than life on Tuesday night, November 6th, here in the state of Iowa. I, I think you're exactly right. And I think this is something our, our That might be and, a first, by the way. He thinks I'm exactly right. Uh, well, exactly. It's the first time I've thought you were exactly right when you didn't parrot something I'd already said, yes. Uh, okay. Uh, but for our viewers and listeners on the Blaze and CRTV nationwide, the point Bob just made, is going to be one of the most important points you're going to see in the next two years. And, and, and let me put some data on what you just pointed out just to illustrate it further. And this will actually start with an anecdotal piece of data. So a few days before the election, one of my best buds, who's a pastor here in town, I'll give him a little shout out because he's probably watching today. His name is Mike Damastus. And, and Mike hosts an afternoon drive show uh, each weekday on a, a Christian talk station here in town. Mm-hmm. And I get a text from Mike a couple days before the election. And he's like, I know you'll be honest with me. Is Kim Reynolds in trouble? And I just asked him. And normally when you guys text me these questions, what's always my first response? Why? Because I usually <laughs> like to know why you're asking me this. Here comes okay? another question. Yeah, yeah. So I asked Mike, why are you asking me this? He goes, because, listen, I'm, I'm proud of our show. It's growing. But we're a local show on a Christian talk station and this is the third time in the last month her people have contacted me about having her come on. And she wants to come on the day before the election. And I'm kind of thinking, should she be on our TV affiliates and stuff? Does she have some other more important people to be talking to than us? And I actually had the opposite reaction. I had the reaction of, huh, she actually realizes the voters she needs to turn out. She knows where her base she is. She knows where her base is. She knows talking. We got the, we have our, our local news station here, KCCI, our CBS affiliate, in terms of per capita ratings, is the number one rated local news station in America. 
for local news in a market. They have the highest concentration, mm -hmm. or at least they used to. I don't know if they do still anymore, but for many years they did. How many people that are watching, though, the KCCI News at night are, 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 are likely to vote for her compared to the people she's going to reach on Christian radio stations around the state like Mike Damascus? Well, the Christian radio where Mike Damascus has the afternoon drive, I don't yep. care if his listenership is 13. Yep. All 13 are going to that's, go out to vote. And that tells you she knows what she knows who her base is. And that's, and, and that's something most Republicans are. They know who their base is, too. They're just, as Chris Pandolfo, our mm -hmm. peer on conservative review, likes to say, it's not that they're dumb. They're just not willing to do what it takes to win. Mm, sure. The fact th That tells me she was willing to do what it took to win. That is step one. If you can get them to do that Two, it also means you better have something to sell because you're not going to mobilize those voters on the Christian radio stations across the state in the last couple of days on the Democrats suck. You better have something affirmative to offer them. And she did with the heartbeat bill. And then third, well, then, Steve, why did the same? Because because what, what you and I are really, really telling the audience is there were some people that went out and voted for Kim Reynolds and then voted for Democratic members of Congress. How would then, if you're voting for, because the average person listening to it say, it makes no sense that if Kim Reynolds people, she got this turnout that the pollsters didn't see on the pro-life issue, but then these pro-life congressmen lost. Are they pro-life? Listen, I like Rod Blum. I've known him for years. I like him a lot. I don't like David Young. David Young is the embodiment of everything about the Republican Party that caused me to leave. I went in there and voted for him anyway, just because of the Brett Kavanaugh thing. Sure. But here's the reality. Those two guys have voted how many times to fund Planned Parenthood the last two years? How many times? Probably every time. Probably every time. Because we, we had to keep the government open. Yep. We couldn't have a shutdown. And so if if you're that voter in the suburbs where you and I live, who and we know these are our neighbors. We go to church with these people, so we know them pretty well. And you're just irritated beyond belief at Trump's antics. And if you're trying to conjure up a rationale to justify voting for pro-abort Democrats, and you're looking for excuses— the Republicans like 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 Blum and Young and some of these other guys that lost that go out there to fund Planned Parenthood every time Mitch McConnell says we got to keep the government open. Are you what's your big pro life statement voting for David Young? You know, David. Hey, David Young has done something Cindy Axney hasn't done yet as Democratic opponent. Written a check to Planned Parenthood. David Young has done that. Has Cindy Cindy Axney hasn't voted? She, well, we all know she's going to. But you see my point? Yep. If you're looking for to, to, to weave a thread, the fact that they betrayed you on your issue and Kim Reynolds stood with you on your issue, the only memorable line from her one debate with, with, with Fred Hubble was, what's the one thing you're not going to bend on, you're going to change on? What did Life. you say? Life. Life. All right. See, so this, this to me is why this is a model going forward. Because, again, these Republicans got all the backlash of being associated with Trump in the suburbs. And because they, the only thing they did in two damn years is one temporary tax cut. That, they didn't build a wall. They didn't defund Planned Parenthood. They didn't do anything for two years. They didn't, they didn't repeal Obamacare for two years. All they did was a temporary tax cut. And that so, wasn't enough to insulate them from the backlash you're describing. They it, needed to accomplish more. So I believe at the end of the day, what Iowa voters did is that they voted and they sent a message and they voted while they stood on principle. And principle being the sanctity of human life. The other part, and I'm not saying the family leader deserves a lot of credit here, but just to give you an example, we went after and we, we raised unprecedented amount of money. And we went in and we targeted high pro-life voters, low propensity to turn out to vote, as well as just driving that life message, that life message, that life message that these people are champions for life. You need to elect them. Yep. We did not involve ourselves in the congressional races. And the reasons we tried, but then there's a, a 
Anyhow, a donor that said, you know, well, we'll do it, but then you got to do it our way. And we said, we're not doing that. And what happens is that also when people have a reason to vote for the sanctity of human life, to vote for somebody who's, who's going to stand on principle, I think it delivers. Uh, when that Des Moines Register poll came out Sunday night, Steve, uh, or Sunday, right before the election on Tuesday, showed Kim Reynolds getting beat by two. Uh, Governor Reynolds and I texted back and forth, and her key words were, your base has got to turn out. Meaning, if those people who really believe in the sanctity of human life, and I signed heartbeat legislation, if they don't turn out to vote, mm-hmm. and what happens, they turned out to vote. Now, Because, what, because he's going to get everybody offended exactly. by that. Exactly. He's going to get every last, every last one of those voters. She needed to respond by turning out everybody that was inspired by so that. So why does that matter? Because elections going forward, for those those of us who believe in the sanctity of human life, in religious liberty, in the way for that God designed marriage and family, when you stand on principle and you showed you're a bold and courageous leader on principle, I believe the voters will reward you for that. And I think you saw it in the state of Iowa. So we couldn't have been more happy when Tuesday night's election results closed that we kept the governorship, we won with a pro-life Senate and a pro-life House. I mean, I'm, just as we're talking, there, I'm, I'm, something comes up in my uh, timeline from a DC reporter talking who 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 is uh, talking to Mitch McConnell and McConnell is talking to GOP donors that we need our own Act Blue our candidates are getting greatly outraised where did Act Blue come from Act Blue is a is the is is the is the base of the base of the base of the democratic it's Gavin Newsom San Francisco mayor i mean these are the hard leftists okay these are impeach everybody you're all white supremacist types why are they able to raise money because they inspire their base, and then they, after they inspire their base by standing for what their base wants, they say, send us money. Mitch, do you think Mitch McConnell is capable of replicating that model? Well, what Mitch McConnell wants is the money, without like the, Act, without Act Blue. The, without the, so without the if, stance. if it's right. Act Red, which says, okay, inspire your base on life, on marriage, on family, on religious liberty, on Jerusalem, on anything else it might be, that might, that might be a bridge too far. Give you an example of Act Blue. What happened with Barack Obama? Barack Obama, before the North Carolina vote, he said at Salback Church, he said, you know what? Marriage is between a man and a woman. That's what scripture teaches. That's what my religion is. It's between a man and a woman. North Carolina voted to affirm a marriage between a man and a woman. I was on the air with Al Sharpton when this happened in real time on MSNBC. Voted to affirm marriage between a man and a woman the next day. Barack Obama's in North Carolina flipping his belief. I I dreaded being on that panel thinking I was going to get ganged up on. They let me say whatever I want. They spent their entire hour panel I was on criticizing Barack Obama yep. for deserting them on the marriage issue. And then the next yep. day, what did he do? He flipped his position on but the issue. why did he do it? Because Act Blue and the leftists said, you have to do this or you will not be reelected as president. What happened in the state of Iowa, I think so exciting, is that these voters with principle said, we are going to send you back to lead. And so if you take that message, wow, could that be fun? If we actually got statesmen to actually run for office like that and deliver like that. So, so this goes to what we talked about on the show last week. You have to concoct a game plan for the quarterback you have, not for the quarterback you would, that you wished you did. And whether you want it to be true or not, I didn't want it to be true. I was involved in the effort, the free the delegates movement. I fought this thing all the way to the last three seconds of the convention. So what, but, but the reality is Donald Trump is the quarterback of the Republican party. You may hate it. You may not like it. You may wish there was somebody different in wishes were horses. The truth, it it is what it is. Facts. What's the old Ben Shapiro line? Facts don't care about your feelings. That's a fact, Mm -hmm. which means you need to concoct strategy that accentuates the strengths of your quarterback. And if 
the, so right now the Republicans have the worst of both worlds. They have Trump's persona, alienating persona, and no legislative accomplishments. So if you don't give Trump substantive issues to tweet about and talk about, what's he going to talk about? He's going to talk about anything else. Yeah, Russian, <laughs> Russian hoax, witch hunt, CNN, that stuff that alienates the yeah. people we go to church how, with. How many times can I switch the narrative in a given day? Yes. So if you don't want him talking about that, then do something other than a temporary tax cut in two years, right? Do something that you can right. go to your base at the end of the election like Kim Reynolds did and said, hey, you wanted me to stand up for something you really cared about. I did. I stood up for that heartbeat bill, and so you should reward me with your vote. And after you get beat as a congressman, what does Trump do? Trump says, the reason you got beat is because you didn't stand with me, and you didn't do your job, you didn't pass. So what he's saying, he's also saying, you lost on your own. You, did, you lost because you weren't with me. Bob, folks want to learn more about The Family Leader. How can they do that? Go to thefamilyleader.com. It's an exciting time uh, where we think bigger, we look higher. We're really about cultural transformation that impacts elections with ministers of God and influences righteous policy. Familyleader.com? The family and, leader. And the. 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 the, the. Familyleader.com. Yes. All right, when we come back here with Hour 2, we're going to open up the phone lines. One of our viewers, listeners here live on The Blaze on demand at CRTV has a family dilemma that I know a lot of us do, particularly with Thanksgiving looming. We're going to address that here next with your phone call. Stay tuned. <laughs> All right, back here live on The Blaze, on demand at CRTV. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is D-E-A-C-E for those of you listening on the podcast. And if you are listening via podcast, if you could leave us one of those five-star reviews, those definitely help us. The more people that to see those five-star reviews, the more people that end up seeing what we're all about. So thank you to those of you that have left us those reviews. You might be like, well, Steve, I don't think your show is worth that. Well, don't, don't lie. And you're probably right, but don't lie. But, you know, maybe give us a Christmas miracle and just don't say anything at all. Don't one star us. Just keep it to yourself. And if you could just even have time to leave a review today, something simple like clicking that subscribe button, the more those numbers pile up, that helps us uh, to, to grow our numbers as well. And again, thank you to those of you that have done that too. So we're going to open up the phone lines this hour. And, you know, this is a uh, 888 is the number. 888 So we're, we're just coming out of another divisive election. And I remember the last divisive election in 2016. And uh, I was asked to be on a panel for the news hour heading into the Thanksgiving holiday. And that's uh, for those of you that, that probably don't know, which I'm guessing is like almost all of you. That is like the nightly news program on PBS. Uh, and, and I was asked to be on a round table or on a panel, a bipartisan panel, which means I think I was the only conservative. Uh, I was asked to be on a bipartisan panel about how to handle talking a divisive election with family members who disagree at the at the Thanksgiving dinner table. And I listened to everybody else's take, and they came to me at the very end. And I'm like, I wouldn't. I, I, it's Thanksgiving, man. So let me get this straight. You're, you're so disgusted by the divisive election we just had that you think the way to get over it is just to drag it into the holidays at the same point at the same time and let it ruin the rest of your year while you're at it? 
Well, I mean, I, I would think you'd want to put it behind you as fast as you possibly could, right? It's Thanksgiving. It's not about you. And nobody, we don't need to know your thoughts. Who cares? We're here to uh, eat way too much turkey, watch more bad Detroit Lions football. I'm sorry, America. That's what we're here to do. It's America. We're not, we're not here for your kvetching. That's not what this is about, you know? They looked at me like I was from another planet, okay? So that's kind of my basic response to these questions. But it came up again, one of our listeners, Diane, sent me this note after listening to the conversation we had on Friday talking about capitalism and having to define what it means and why because human nature is not basically good. That's why we need capitalism. And how we haven't really passed these ideas and these foundations on to our next generation. And Diane wrote me back and she says, I agree that we didn't teach our children. She says, my daughters are both left-wing liberals. I have no idea how or even if to have a conversation with them. They won't even meet me in the middle to talk. And so I've kept all my thoughts to myself. I can't comment on any political thing for fear of causing even more division. How can I solve this? Can it be solved? How would you suggest solving this? How have you solved this in your own families? Or have you solved it by just saying, you know, it's kind of insolvable right now. The personalities are, are too embedded and too divisive. And we love each other more than we care about our particular political bent. So we're putting. And we're just going to be a family and not worry about this right now. How are you addressing this? How do you address this with your own grown children if they have differing views than you? 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. Now, I don't think, this is not a test, by the way, where there's like a right or a wrong answer. This is more a wisdom and a multitude of counsel thing. Because I know, I know, I have gotten this, how many times have we gotten this question in the last few years, guys, would you say? As much, almost as much as any other question, don't yeah. you think? Yeah. We've gotten this a ton. And we've kind of given our own spin on it. I'd, I'd kind of like to know what the audience thinks. 888-900-3393 is the number. Thanksgiving is coming up. Is this something you're dreading after another divisive election? How did you handle it in the last one? Is it something you just, we don't address it really at all. We just decided it's not worthy of addressing. We, we agree to disagree and move on. Or maybe you have figured out that you are able with differing views to navigate this. You guys know anybody like that, by the way? I don't. I don't know anybody like that. Now, maybe somewhere within the, the, the vast recesses of America listening, someone has figured out how to turn these family situations into a successful political evangelistic exercise. By golly, if you have cracked the code, we definitely want to hear from you. 888-900-3393. What do you think, Todd? Uh, well, you, you can hear, and you're the one reading it, but it, 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 you can hear the heartbreak in her. It, it seems like somebody who um, has some concerns about what her daughter thinks, but what I heard mostly is like, I just, it, it, 
I'm heartbroken that this there seems to be such a large wall that if I even touch on something, um, it turns into an explosive event for our family. Uh, listen, I, I'll offer you an extreme example of what is required by all of us in these circumstances if we can't talk about it. Uh, prayer is absolutely necessary. There's a fantastic story about a, uh, uh, a, a couple. Uh, the wife uh, was uh, a, a Catholic. Uh, it, this works for any uh, uh, strain of Christianity. Uh, husband, uh, not. Uh, and she prayed unceasingly for him, and she did so uh, using the help of a, a diary or something like that. She ultimately ended up... Uh, uh, dying, and he found the diary, and he just just unrelenting prayer, and he and he he says she was never a nag about anything to me, and uh, a scold. She was not, she, she, but she was faithful to the nth degree, in just in love. And this is a man who was so uh, moved by what he found afterwards. He ultimately ended up becoming a Catholic priest. Uh, my point being, uh, you, this is not, there is no trick. <laughs> and I think Steve's funny. If you got it, call us in with it. But th- whatever the trick is, it's it's got to start with a, a, a radical kind of love where despite those differences, you, you are doing everything you can uh, to meet that person with a mother's love, a father's love, a child's love. If it's in reverse, uh, I don't, there's no way unless you start with that, that this can be solved. Yeah, and I, I think uh, that's great advice, especially the, the praying part, Todd. And I think we have to also take these these types of things on a case-by-case basis. I think it's a different kind of scenario and maybe a more holistic and a bigger picture, a broader conversation when it's your um, daughter, son, brother, sister, somebody who's really close in proximity to you. Uh, versus, uh, you know, cousin uh, cousin Billy, the Bernie bro, you know, who's coming over, you see him maybe two or three times a year and trying to avoid those conversations. <laughs> That's something you can just kind of try to in- avoid and push off. I think part of it, though, is, uh, I th- well, I think a big part of it, especially if it's somebody that close, you really have to model um, that you that you know why you believe what you believe and live your life that way as well. I mean... You know, we talk about conservatism. It's not an ideology. It's an observational science. Um, so are you, you know, is the way that you're living? And conservatism, again, observational science that helps us inform um, why we believe that the things we do about how we should come and live together. Um, but there is a certain lifestyle attached to it as well. Do you, does it, are you really modeling that as well? And I'm not saying that, that she's not, but... Those types of broader conversations, especially when it comes to people who are really close in proximity to you, those are what needs to, need need to happen more than just winning a rhetorical argument or just um, uh, how do I manage this on a rhetorical level. Uh, I think people, especially in my generation, want to see um, a real genuine um, belief in in whatever, really, literally mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's important that you model that. That you really know what you're, that you really know what you believe and why you believe what you believe, and that you're living like that. Eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. If you have any advice for Diane or even uh, your own testimonial uh, of how your family has dealt with this, either positively or negatively. Eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. I think Aaron used a word that um, is vital here, and that word is sincerity. 
as we have become um, fully immersed as a people, uh, this Aaron's generation is the first born postmodern generation. I mean, postmodernism was just beginning to to take hold of the culture when Todd and I were were coming of age. What do I mean by postmodernism? Essentially, the absence of truth and beauty, the absence of the of of the vitals of the of the fundamentals of the transcendent, and 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 you therefore, and this is where we sit around in our Bible studies and we don't ask each other, hey, what do you think this scripture means? We ask, what does it mean for you? When we read a, a classic work of literature, we don't ask. What, did, what, what ideas is, is, are the, are the, is the author trying to convey? We ask, what does this mean to you? And therefore, you, have, you want a great example of um, postmodernism? The last A Wrinkle in Time movie. So the original story, A Wrinkle in Time, it's a Christian allegory. And the author wrote that or explicitly, the woman who wrote the book. They went out and made this movie with, you know, huge Disney budget, Oprah Winfrey, biggest, you know, human star on planet Earth in the cast, and it bombed. It was one of the biggest disappointments at the box office of the year. Why? Because the woman who did the movie openly stated she stripped it of all of its Christian allegory. So it still might be a good movie. I don't know. Did you see it? Did you go and your daughters no. end up seeing it? No. no. So, I mean, it still might, that doesn't mean, it, that doesn't mean it's immoral. You don't have to have, a, you know, you don't have to have explicit Christian allegory to tell a morality tale, but it just wasn't a wrinkle in time. You see what I'm saying? It was her story. It was the story the director wanted it to be, not the story it was intended to be. That's an example of postmodernism. You do what you 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 reconstruct things. Uh, it, if I could give you the 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 motto of postmodernism, it is feelings don't care about your facts. That would be the official motto of postmodernism. Feelings don't care about your facts. I emote, therefore I am. And so Aaron's generation is the first born generation where the trans transitioning. I feel like, can someone give me a list of words I can still use? I I don't even, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Sometimes I'm like, you know, I just. Racist and bigot. You can still use those. Uh, Not not boobs though. Don't say boobs. Not boobs. No, no, not boobs. I can show them, but I can't say the word. Right. Okay. Um, the, the transition from a culture built on warring absolutes. Previous generations used to debate each other about what the certainties of the world were. This transition to there are no more certainties began in you and I's generation and Aaron's generation. Now the millennials are the firstborn since this transition, transition has taken hold. And when you are born into a world where there aren't any certainties, absent certainty, sincerity reigns. So I can so so for those of you that are older, let me give you an example of what that means. Because you're struggling with this, and I know why. I, I get it. You come from an era where I first of all had to confirm for you my understanding of certainty is certain, and then I would make an emotional appeal, like because I believed in this certainty. It did this for my life. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. To, to give it some extra credibility to show that it's workable, that I applied this certainty into my life, and here's how it made it better. Yeah. 
That dog don't hunt. That that won't work on Aaron's generation. They that they won't abide by that. You actually with them have to begin with the emotional appeal first. Because absent certainty, sincerity reigns. And this is why, this is why, you know, when they had the problems at the University of Missouri a few years ago with the fake racism. And I'll never forget this. There was an interview with a beautiful young white co-ed girl. And I remember watching this interview at the time. I'm thinking, somewhere, this is, there's a father very disappointed that this is what became of his princess. <laughs> and she looks into the camera and she says, well, you know, I've never really seen the examples of the blatant racism that our football players are talking about. What she's really saying is, I don't understand why a bunch of black guys go into school at a world-class institution for nothing because they play football good and they otherwise probably couldn't get into school here, why they think they're being discriminated against. That's what she's really saying. She didn't feel like it was safe for her to just be as blunt like that, but that's really what she was saying. She goes, I really haven't seen evidence of the blatant racism that you know these guys on our football team are talking about, but... Since they believe it so sincerely, it must be true. Aaron is smiling. Because that's your generation, is it not, Aaron? Absent certainty, sincerity reigns. Yep. And so I can believe something sincerely. And it could be as wrong as mammary glands on a bolt. But don't, you can't question my sincerity. Sincerity reigns when certainty reigns. Is removed, and that's what that's why Aaron's argu- generation is ruled by emotional arguments. And so, if you want to win that generation over, you actually have to start. You have to invert the math. Two plus two is still four. Let me give you another example. Let me put it another way: three plus two is still five, but you actually need to do the math. Two plus three. You got to switch the numbers. You actually have to start with the emotional appeal. This is why when I do pro-life speaking now, I begin with my mom finding out she's pregnant with me at 14, having me at 15. Roe v. Wade comes in at, at, when she finds out she's pregnant with me over Christmas break and of 1972, and then Roe v. Wade happens a month later, and she has to make the decision about whether to have me or not. And, you know, uh, we grew up together. As You know, why am I making... Are, now, everything I'm saying is true, but it's all emotional, too. Like, would I be, would I be of any less value... Would science say I'm any less human because my mom didn't want me at 15? Would I be any less of a human being, right? Yes right. or no? No. No. But, if, but, but again, absent certainty, sincerity reigns. So I, I need to make the case because predominantly who is faced with the decision whether to have an abortion? Women my age or women Aaron's age? My what, age. Your age. Most of the women my age have either had their children or can't have them anymore. So it's, it's women Aaron's age that are predominantly faced with the decision of whether to commit murder or not of my own child. And if I don't begin with the premise, and I don't care how many, I don't care how many, in fact, the fact that they are in a youth ministry at your church means they're probably even more susceptible to this, frankly. Because if you want to know where heresies are breeding grounds in America's churches today, check the youth ministry every time, all right? And if you see the guy in there with the open collared shirt, in the massive pottery barn-sized cross around his necklace, and he's always got a, a, a Starbucks or, 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 or Frederick's coffee cup. Get thee to a nunnery. Yeah, I'm not saying he's bad. It's just likely. Run. Run! 
Run, Shane. Don't come back, Shane. Don't keep running. Keep running, Shane. Faster, Shane, run. All right? You're laughing. It's true. So, um... He's you, still laughing. <laughs> you have to start with the emotional appeal. If I don't convince Aaron, the, the women of Aaron's generation that I'm not out to impose my white heteronormative patriarchal desires upon them and turn them into little baby-making machines with no value beyond what they spit from their womb, they're less likely to listen, whether they go to church or not, or where they go to church, if at all. I've got to make the emotional connection first. If I don't make the emotional connection first, I don't get to make the logical connection. Now, if my sincerity is judged as sincere, I am now given permission by the culture writ large to address the certainties of the situation. But minus the, minus the sincerity, you can show them all the sonograms you want. If my emotion says, I don't want to be a mom and I want to kill my kid, it's going to trump your sonogram photo more times than not. And I think this is a massive transition the older generation is struggling with. And that's one of the reasons why we're struggling to talk to our kids and our grandchildren, is we don't get that this has happened. Am I, am I understating this, Aaron? Or am I, I overstating I it, I, I should don't say? Think this, I, I don't think so at all. Um, you, you have to... And taking it back to you know the Republican Party again, um, this is why messages like... Um, uh, shrinking the well, just shrinking the deficit. That, that's good, ar- you know, good argument. But they always seem to lead with, "Well, I'm a fiscal conservative," and um, there's nothing emotional about fiscal yep. issues as, at all. Yep. Uh, we're going to shrink waste, fraud, and abuse. There's nothing emotional about that. That doesn't give is me why, the vapors, as Todd likes to say. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Exactly. That's why if you're a Republican and you're running in our, uh, uh, you know, a you always have to put that. This is what we were talking about with with um, with Bob in hour one. Always, always go to your principles, especially if you have to le- have a leg to stand on. Always, always go to those. But you have to you have to do it in a way, as Steve said, as Steve um, stipulated, that we call it a hook, um, uh, mm-hmm. where you have to get them. You have to draw them in because if you just start pontificating everywhere and start declaring that uh, this is uh, thus saith fill in the blank, they're going to turn you off because that they don't they don't like that. They don't like that at all. You have to hook them and you do that with emotion and you do that with with good story and being able to tell your story, uh, whatever that is, whatever illustrations you have, whether it's in Steve's case, a tremendous life testimony that ties in very well to the biggest issue in his closed hand, which is which is the life issue. You you everybody has stories. Some you know everybody's story is different. But all everybody has a story that they can use to hook somebody in and to draw their conclusions. But you again have to start with that emotional element. Let's go to Julie in Ohio, eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Here live on the Blaze on Demand at CRTV. Julie, welcome to the Steve Day Show. What say you? Hi, how are you? Um, We're doing well. What do you think? And, um, I don't know a lot about you know Thanksgiving dinners and then having your family there with opposing sides. Our family is all pretty much conservative, thank God. Um, But I do have close friends who are Democrats and liberals, and we still have a friendship. And I think what's important in maintaining that is kind of a subject you touched on earlier is they know my lifestyle and showing them uh, what's important to you and not necessarily making it 
about the actual politicians, such as Trump versus Hillary. We don't even really bring up those names. It's mm-hmm. what, what's most important to you. Why do you lean this way? And going back to pro-choice, I had my versus pro-life. Um, I was pregnant very early, had my daughter when I was 19. And that's something that's, that's what's most important to me about voting conservative is pro-life. And that's why I've just leaned more to the right versus left. Now there's some things that I can see their point on, but this, this is important to me. This is the way I want our country to be going. I don't want us to see children getting killed. And that's, I think it's important to see why do you affiliate with this party? What, Mm -hmm. and letting them, you know, some people who might be just as emotional as women's rights, um, all of the sexual harassment that's going on and having them realize we are not exact opposite of that. We understand there's just a way to, there's still due process and honoring our court system and honoring people's rights who are, you know, they're still innocent, such as everything with Kavanaugh. And I think it's important too to come to a middle ground where you can point out things that are wrong about your party also, such as Trump. There's, I mean, we did vote for Trump, but it was, I don't agree with some of the rhetoric that he uses. I don't agree with some mm-hmm. of the tweets. I don't agree with some things that even the whole thing with Stormy Daniels, that's something that my friends bring up a lot. I don't agree with that. But yep. I lean this way because of what's important to me and my morals. And Appreciate the phone call, Julie. I, here's where I, where I think you're winning the argument, in my view, from, based on how you described your situation. The willingness to engage, listen, and avoid tribalism. I I can't tell you how many people we have, how many millennials we have driven from the church with our political tribalism. Now, let me state this again. The number one reason people don't want to come to church isn't because we don't have a slam and praise team, isn't because the pastor is not funny enough, or he didn't get the right to pay, or it's because they're sinners and people don't want to be told that. And stylistically, there's really no good way to tell somebody, you know, um, you're a sinner, you deserve hell. Frankly, you kind of want it. That's why you fight repenting. You want it. You want your way. Yeah, you you have a the aisle seat in the eternal smoking section, and you're riding first class, and that's what you want. And unless you believe this one thing from this one Messiah who died for your sins, that's where you'll go forever. Now, I don't really kind of know of an up with people way to deliver that one. And I consult, you know, on messaging for a living. I message for a living and I'm not rich, but I'm paid fairly well. And one of the things that I'm charged with doing is coming up with clever and unique ways to say terribly difficult things to people. I don't know of a clever, unique way to say that. Gentlemen, do you guys know that? I, I, I haven't thought I, of I, one yet. No. You're kind of in the end. No, you can be clever and unique until you get to that point. But once we get to that point, there's that. There's really no, there's no way around the cross, guys. You know, either there's a savior bleeding out up there or there's not. You know what I'm saying? There's like no way around that. You know, and so I, what I like is that you're attempting to address 
those difficulties because the, the number one reason our millennials leave is they want to get around the cross. They don't want to be confronted with their own sinfulness. And, and that's their responsibility. They're going to give an account to their maker for their sins. Not you, not me, or anybody that offended them. But there are things we can do that helps them justify their own alienation. That we need to be aware of. Where we are causing the other brother to stumble. And I'm just telling you, our hackneyed tribalistic political activism is one of them. What's the number one excuse you're hearing from your generation right now about why they're tuning us out? What is it? It is, uh, there's, there's, the system's broken um, and there's too much tribalism and too much idolatry, yes. essentially. Now, again, are they sinners? Yes. Would they, come up with, would, would, would they be likely to come up with another excuse not to come to church if a nice person not named Donald Trump was president? Yeah. Because they're sinners, and we would too, okay? But, but we don't need to be feeding the animals here either. And, and, you know, you said something interesting earlier, Aaron, when you were talking about the racial reconciliation movement in the church. How oh, it's sure. one yeah. way, mm-hmm. all right? See, this conversation is one way too. I agree with the millennials that too many of their elders are flaming hypocrites. My inbox every day would verify it. I could just sit here and print your hypocritical emails every day and tear them to shreds. And some days when I'm having a bad day, I do. And it's fun. Okay. It's terrible tribalism. Awful. But here's the thing with you millennials. Do not permit the arrogance of youth to turn you into exactly what you claim to oppose. Because see, you haven't raised a family yet. You haven't built a business with your bare hands yet and seen government come and threaten it because it wants to. You haven't seen government come and say, maybe we'll take your kids away if you don't teach them what we want them to learn rather than what you believe. So you haven't lived through those things yet. Your biggest, your biggest problem is which Democrat will, will, will vote to uh, uh, cancel my student loan debt. And for most guys my age, uh, is Code Red still in stock? Yes. And um, can I have a refrigerator downstairs? Yes, long? you haven't lived yet. You just haven't. You haven't raised a family. You haven't built a business. I got to meet a payroll every two weeks. And I got to figure out how do I meet the payroll? Th- th- and, and, and these guys, this isn't charity. They earn their living. So I owe it to them. Not be- out of kindness. They work their asses off. So they deserve to get paid. So I got to figure out every two weeks, how do I do this in a way that communicates what God is calling me to do and puts food on all these people's tables, including my own, all the time? See, you millennials, you haven't really had to navigate that yet. That's the other part of this equation. Like you were saying earlier, Aaron, it's a two-part equation. I want to talk more about that when we come back. Back here live on the Blaze on demand at CRTV. Phone lines are open. 888 We're talking about a note we received over the weekend from one of our listeners slash viewers, Diane, struggling to figure out how she can address political conversations with her daughters who are both younger and more liberal than she is and how it causes a lot of uh, angst in their family. And of course, with Thanksgiving coming up, we're going to have a lot of gatherings around the country. So how have you navigated some of these dilemmas, either on a daily basis or on a special occasion basis? 
Uh, and maybe you've just chosen as a family to say, you know what, these people aren't important enough for us to ruin our family gatherings with them, so we're just not talking about it. What do you think? 888-900-3393. When we left off, um, I, I was addressing that we've had a lot to say on our show on this topic of the hypocrisy of the older generation's political activism driving away Aaron's millennial generation. True. And I don't regret any of it because it's all true. Yep. But this is a, this is a two way street. And I don't think we've had enough to say about the, the judgmental hypocrisy of your generation. Aaron. Because it's real easy it's real easy to sit there when you're, when you're 21, 22, 25 years old. And right now in America, the average 28-year-old male is more likely to be living at home with his parents than married with a child. Which means in many respects, he's still a child. He's not a man. He's a male. Putting off adolescence. And if, if, not because he hasn't found the right person yet, but because unless you're moving back home because mom and dad are sick or something and need your help you're actually not even trying at adulting. Let's just be honest about that. So it's real easy when you were permitted the longest prolonged adolescence in human history before you have had a child, raised one, built a business, had a job where maybe it felt like you had to bite your tongue because there were mouths relying on you to put food on their table, and you just couldn't speak up about that issue right now. So you haven't faced any of these real-world dilemmas yet that your parents and grandparents have been navigating for decades before you came on the scene? And we're not just... I was about to crack a joke, and then I caught myself. And I, I don't want to slow... slow no. I don't, I don't want to interrupt you here. I think we're not addressing millennials as a straw man here. Yeah. Just by nature of how old you are... And the statistics, which we've gotten into many, many times, especially about males in my generation, we're not constructing a straw man whose only issue is about how to get, you know, avocado. No, just because of your stage of life. Yes. uh, My stage of life. I'm speaking like I'm not one of them. My stage of life. We just haven't been through. We haven't faced some of those some of those um, hurdles yet. And we're not making a stereotype. We're not making a construct out of millennials. We're just I think. And again, we're just trying speaking broadly speaking on generational broadly basis. On generational basis, right? Thank you. Yeah. yeah, I mean, let me give you an example from my own life. So, we had this conversation for fun last week, the day after the election, about when does Christmas time officially start? Right. One of the things I had planned is I have a very I had a very proud daddy moment recently. Iowa's largest theater group. Has been, was so impressed with the work of our oldest daughter, Anna, and the local performances that she's done at the Civic Center that they called and offered her a role as the oldest daughter, the oldest Cratchit daughter in their annual production of A Christmas Carol and didn't require her to audition. Cool. They offered her the role without an audition. And it's her first, you know, truly paid professional role. On the stage, she got paid for being in the movie that we role that we did. But I mean, on the stage, I was going to bring this up as part of the Christmas festivities we had last week. I did not do so, and the reason I didn't do so is frankly my own paranoia, because 
I kind of felt like it wasn't official until she had her first rehearsal and they had their first rehearsal last night. And I am frankly paranoid that because of what her old man does for a living and the beliefs that he has, and he's a public figure in the community, that would be me. So I would just went Bob Dole addressing myself in the third person. Uh, I'm always paranoid. That's, you know, stage community, stage theater subcultures tend to be far more liberal. I've always been concerned that because of what her last name is, it'll cost her. And I was afraid that if I got ahead of this, and I know I should trust those people more, I just, this is something that if you're 24 years old and single, you have not had to face. What's the cost of what you believe in to your children that, you know, they had nothing to do with. Well, people, you know, I've had people offer my kids things they don't deserve because of who their dad is and then try to take away things from them they did deserve because of who their dad is. And you just haven't faced that. I'm sorry. You just don't know what it's like. And I, I, I think that in the middle of correctly pointing out the hypocrisy of your elder generation, If you don't want to become like that, which you claim to oppose, maybe stop and ask yourself, what's happening in our culture right now that my otherwise lucid dad, grandmother, suddenly when Donald Trump or politics comes up, suddenly seems to lose their freaking minds? Now, could it be Trump idolatry? Well, sure. Guys, have we seen some examples of that? Many. Many. It could be. Could it be they're afraid? Could it be that they're afraid their way of life goes the way of the dodo bird? Could it be the way of life they fought to sustain and preserve for you to have the freedom to have your prolonged adolescence? Could go the way of the dodo bird if the Ocasio-Cortezes of the world get their way? Could it be that too? Yeah. Yeah, it could be that too. Fear causes people to do things that in a normal state, when they're not afraid, they might not do. Maybe have a little, you know, some of that grace and mercy you'd like your, your parents and grandparents to have more of for differing views. Why don't you try having some of that maybe there? Know it all. Give that one a shot. Might be in too tough here, Aaron, do you think? No, and I, I want to underscore again, and don't not putting words in your mouth, but I mean, Steve doesn't think he's a victim here when he says, you haven't had to face, you don't know what this is. No, you're not a victim. The older generation is, is not a victim. That's not the point. The point here is just that your time on this earth with the experiences that you will um, endure, enjoy, um, look forward to, uh, look back on, it changes your perspective naturally as you go through life. I think that's the the biggest mm-hmm. thing. I because I, I just want to be really careful here since we just got done talking about uh, emotional arguments and um, that we're not turning people off. Maybe people in my generation off by saying, "Well, you haven't experienced." No, we're not. We're not making. Um, uh, we're not again. We're not making a construct here. We're not making a straw man. Um, this is just. It, it, I'm saying this as a 25 year old, and so I, you know, my 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 
perspective on things will change, probably should change. They should change as I get Let older. me put it this way. But offer your parents and grandparents the same level of mercy and grace. You're disappointed in your perspective they're not offering to some others. That's what I'm saying. Because if you don't, then you're guilty of exactly what you perceive them to be guilty of. Are you not, Aaron? Absolutely. That's the point I'm trying to make. That's the point I'm trying to... Listen, I, I agree with you. I, I, again, we're speaking broadly. I agree with the broad, broad characterization of Trump whoredom. I've come up against... I come up against it in my career on a regular basis. It, the fact I will not succumb to it is the number one barrier in my career, other than my own you know, talent limitations and the fact I'm not very likable most days. Those things notwithstanding, though, though the other big factor is the, is the Trump whoredom factor. I get it. Right now, I'm watching us. I'm watching people I respect in conservative media debate that losing 40 seats in the House with the best economy in 25 years isn't as bad of a loss as as what Obama suffered in 2014. Why do I care? Why would I? Why would I do that? Because my interest is is Trump whoredom. I'm peddling political porn. I'm not interested in advancing a cause. I'm interested in selling you what you want. So I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I, I can promise every millennial listening to me right now, every single one, this one, I will make a blanket generalization. I promise you, you are not more aware of the Trump corrupting whoredom factor than me. I can promise you. It has threatened to take food off my table. I can promise you you're not more aware of it than I am. I can promise you. I just watched the radio network I used to work for fire Michael Medved to replace him with a Trump show. And my old co-host, Jen, just texted me about it 10 minutes ago in the middle of this show. You're not more aware of it than me. I can, I can, random millennial who lives in, uh, you know, Texas and can't believe Grandma Jean, who, you know, took, taught him every Bible verse he ever learned, now suddenly doesn't care about Stormy Daniels because Trump is great. I can promise you, you don't know more about this than me because I have to navigate this every day to put food on these guys' table, my own table, everything else. I have to navigate it every day. All I'm asking is, why don't you try having some of the same grace and mercy for that grand? Okay, she's still the same grandmother that gave you all those Bible verses. She's afraid. She may have lost her mind. There is some of that. I've seen it. But she's also maybe afraid that your kids and grandkids won't get to learn some of those things and traditions that she passed on to you if a certain group of people in America have their way. They want to eradicate those traditions. They want to be rid of them. They think they're evil and wrong and racist. Maybe have some grace and mercy. Practice it the other way. That's all. It's a two-way street. Let's go to Arizona next. Sarah, you're live on The Blaze on demand on CRTV. Appreciate the call. What do you think? Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, It's been interesting around our house. I have been politically active in the Republican Party for a really long time, and I've been um, teaching about the Constitution for 13 years. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, my kids have learned a lot about that and about freedom and and whatnot um but with the election of trump and um some of my kids are all over the age of 18 and you know developing their own ideas and opinions it's been really interesting how um basically like the dinner table conversation i just decided that with some of my family members like my husband and my son they're so emotionally um charged when it comes to trump my husband thinks he's great because of his economic policies and he's been able to grow his business a lot these last mm-hmm. few years. And he just, he just thinks it's all because of Trump. I just tell him, you know, it's also because you're a great businessman and you're a great doctor and, 
And then my son just, you know, cannot stand Trump. The whole, uh, the way he treats women just makes my son so sick. He can't even stand talking about it. So um, I'm also proud of my son's, you know, view on that too, because he respects women and he's he's not going to excuse Trump for that. Anyway, so with those Mm -hmm. two, we just don't talk about it. Uh, because it just turns into a fight for sure. But then with my daughter, um, I have a 21-year-old um, at college at BYU, and she is super thoughtful in her approach. And I love the fact that she has opinions and she wants to talk about them and she kind of wants to talk about like basic stuff like um, economic. She said the other day on the phone, um, I just wish Republic. she's, you know, she's a Republican, I would say, but she's definitely, you know, not for Trump and definitely um just not, she's so learning so much. And she's such a student that she really wants to talk about like economic policies, like where are Republicans not really being honest about ways that their economic policies fail sometimes. And, you know, what are some other things that we could be doing? And it's just really interesting to talk to her because she's super calm and she's thoughtful about it. So, you know, we can have great conversations just because it's not so emotionally charged and because she's really serious about like, why she thinks what she thinks. Does that make sense? It does, Sarah. Neil, let me give you a a helmet sticker because what I loved the most about this call is you talked about three different people in your family and even in areas where you may have differed or they differed with each other, you found a way to give them credit for who they are as individuals rather than Mm -hmm. constructs, formulas, algorithms, straw men. Um, You know, my my daughter, you just said she questions things, but I like the way she questions things because she's earnestly a truth seeker. My husband may be a little bit, uh, you know, uh, fervently pro-Trump, but but he's also a great doctor. And that's, and and my son, I, you know, uh, maybe I think he's too critical of the president at times, but I like the fact that it stems from he, that, you know, the respect that he has for women and things. Do you see how you frame? I don't maybe you don't even realize how you framed these conversations, but this is actually what's not taking place in many of our communities and families. You are recognizing these are individual people with worth and with opinions that you may or may not share. But the fact that you started there is why you guys haven't killed each other yet. That's 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 what's not happening in too many of our neighborhoods and our families right now, Sarah, is what you just did. Well, thank you. That's great. I hadn't really thought about it that way. We found a human being. We found him. We found a human being, guys. Sarah, thanks for the phone call. Great stuff. This, but do you guys, did you guys notice how she weaved that in there? Yeah. The pointing out of your, your parents and grandparents' hypocrisy here? That's still your grandma. That's still your grandpa. That's still your pops. That's still your mom who changed your dirty diapers. I, yes, when Tucker comes on, something may come over her and she may be losing her mind. And you know what she's thinking? She's also thinking, what happens? Why? What, ha- what did I do wrong that when Rachel Maddow comes on, my son is losing his mind? She's thinking the same thing. That's still your son. That's still your daughter. I, I probably know more of these politicians than most of you. Not, I wouldn't say all, but most of you listening, I probably know more of them than most of you do. I can promise you, even the good ones, none of them, none of them are worth blowing up your families over. Not a damned one. And if I've ever said anything I'm 100% sure is true, other than Jesus rose from the dead, 
I'm the most sure what I just said a second ago of its truth. I'm, I will go to my grave with that one. Two things I've told you that I will go to my grave with. Jesus rose from the dead. None of these politicians, not even the good ones, none of them are worth blowing your families up over. None of them are. And I think that the way Sarah just articulated that, the noting Todd, the humanity of all of these varying factions within her family, the anti-Trump guy, the pro-Trump guy, and the, I, I'm really just interested in what's true, gal. That's what's missing. That, that brings us kind of full circle to how we started the show with that Saturday Night Live yeah. clip, right? Yeah. What do you think, guys? Well, even taking this outside of politics, Steve, we're raising kids. Uh, you just mentioned uh, your daughter's uh, theater work. Uh, you're proud of her because of that, but you don't love her because of that. Good. My daughter... Yeah. Running soccer, my good student, just like Steve's is. Uh, I'm proud of them for that. I don't love them because of that. Uh, uh, and I think we are very much uh, in keeping up with the Joneses mode. Uh, this is why I often talk about our level of comfort and how it is debil debilitating. And that is very much a biblical construct that we need to acquaint ourselves with. You are not, you are not in sin because you have wealth. But you can and will often say because of what your wealth insulates you from, how it keeps you from thinking about higher things. You think that is suddenly the good, to be Kim Kardashian is the good, the true, and the beautiful. So this, she's always got uh, clearly, whether she understands it or not, she, you know, she's got the prodigal son firmly entrenched in her heart. And her family, when when they come to her, it is them she loves first and foremost, not what they think and or feel. Those things have to be dealt with. They aren't to be minimized, but it is them. Who does that sound like? That sounds like our God. That sounds hmm. like why his son died for us on the cross. Love them. That is really well said, man. That's a great way to end today's show. John three seventeen. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.